Make sure to check out Season 2, Episode 5, because I talked to Richard B. Strong about his journey from a White House offer to jail when he didn't take compliance and ethics seriously. Make sure to check out that episode. Again, it's Season 2, Episode 5. You won't want to miss that one. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. Welcome back, listeners. It has been an exciting month as I have interviewed some amazing guests from Uber to Richard B. Strong and so many more. Just make sure you go and check out our episodes in season two. Now for our review of the week. This review comes from Priyanka Pandey, and this is what she has to say about the show. I am a regular listener of your podcast. Let's Talk Supply Chain is very informative and has a variety of guests from across Canada and the U.S., and your questions are really thoughtful. And she would also like to say that she really looks forward to listening to the podcast because it's not only packed with new information, but lots of great nuggets, tips, and suggestions that really inspire her to do things in supply chain and think from outside of the box perspective. Priyanka, thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you so much for writing such an amazing review. We love to hear from our listeners. So remember to go and rate us and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you are listening to the show. So today we get into the world of supply chain risk and resiliency with Badia Bakil, CEO and founder of Resilink. And this is going to be part four of our Women in Supply Chain series. Everybody is loving this series. They love hearing about the journeys to success and how what are women in supply chain and what they're doing in our community. So if you know of a woman in supply chain and would like to see them on the show, please email me at listener at letstalksupplychain.com. So Bindia Bakil is CEO and founder of Resilink and is a recognized thought leader in the area of supply chain risk management. She is a subject matter expert, having worked in sourcing materials management and supply chain roles in the high-tech industry at companies including Flextronic, Cisco, and Broadcom. She is credited with developing the market for supply chain risk management solutions when she founded Resilink. She holds the patent for evaluating and presenting the supply chain vulnerability and risk of an enterprise. She is also the founder of the Global Supply Chain Resiliency Council, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing the discipline of supply chain risk management. Ms. Bakil has a master's degree in supply chain management from MIT and an MBA in finance. So welcome to the show, Bindia. I am so excited to bring you into the Let's Talk Supply Chain community today, as you are a woman in leadership doing some amazing and great things in supply chain. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and always happy to talk supply chain. Yeah, love it. I, I'm so passionate about supply chain, and I'm, I'm sure you are too. So let's talk about your company. Tell us about Resolink. 
So ResLink is, in very simple ways, uh, the LinkedIn for supply chain. Um, so what I mean by that is, you know, just like you go on LinkedIn, you put in your information, your resume and everything, and you do it once in a standard way, and then you share it with many people over time just by approving their access to this information. And then it becomes a live connection between you and people in your network. And I don't know um, if you're old enough to remember, but remember the days when we would have to, every time we change jobs, we would tell people, I'm moving here or here's my personal email. Well, we don't do that anymore. And that's because of LinkedIn. You know, we update our profile and 10 years later, I will email you and hopefully you will write back. Uh, so Razzlink has enabled that for supply chain for the enterprise on our platform you know more than 52,000 suppliers share information uh, about their factory locations where's warehouse dc locations the parts that touch each of these locations who owns them the alternate sites everything and they can do this once and then share it with many many customers without having to repeat the data entry and what that does is you know as you have worked in supply chain, you know that there's so many things that can go wrong every day uh, that needs this type of information at the fingertips of the experts who are trying to solve problems. Uh, what we do is we basically use this live network of participants to then manage a factory fire that might happen. You don't have to hunt down contact information. You are connected with that factory, the experts trying to resolve the situation right away. And you can get answers to these questions event by event within minutes, rather than it taking weeks doing it offline. That's amazing. And I definitely do remember the day where you know, we picked up the phone or we were talking to somebody and let, let them know that we, we changed jobs or, or different things like that. And some, in some respects, it was a rotary dial. Phone. Yes. So, <laughs> that might date me a little bit, but anyway, so. I think we can get past our grief. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So um, just a little bit about you and your journey to success. I want to talk about that before we get into why you started the company. So as a woman in supply chain, what has been your journey to success and what challenges have you overcome? So I feel like, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is difficult. Woman, man, doesn't really matter. It's very difficult to kind of take that first step and um, quit your well-paying job and uh, say, I choose to be poor <laughs> uh, for a long time because this is something I believe in. I uh, have this idea. I think it's a big enough problem that a lot of people should, uh, should use my solution to solve this problem because it is the best one out there. And to have the you know courage of your convictions because guess what? Along the way, you will be told many, many times by people who are very successful successful often that your idea is not a big enough problem that you don't think there's money to be made here whether it's investors whether it's future customers prospective employees you know you there are so many naysayers along the way and at every step you know you have to kind of go back to well why did you start this company what was it that made you believe this was a problem worthy of people paying for it that it could become a big you know um, and dominant player on the market 
and, and you have to have that courage uh, and conviction to keep going and not give up. Um, and I think every entrepreneur has to do that as a woman. Sometimes we, uh, you know, just to be self-aware, sometimes we internalize a lot of the external feedback we get. And so I feel one of the challenge women entrepreneurs should be aware of is that don't let these conversations bring you down. Really believe in yourself, you know, and, and why did you start? Go back to that moment when you convinced yourself to quit and do this and and. and you haven't failed until the day you give up. And that's the best part of, about being an entrepreneur is it's all in, it's all on you. <laughs> I love that. And it's so inspiring. What did you do before Resolink? Um, I actually worked in supply chain in the high-tech industry. So I come from uh, companies like Cisco, Flextronics, Broadcom. I worked in direct materials procurement. I went to MIT, got my master's in supply chain. So I'm very much a supply chain nerd. Um, and what I felt in these roles was that very often in supply chain and particularly materials management, we are glorified part chasers. That's how I felt. Because we were always at the mercy of suppliers, of events. We were trying to resolve shortages, get parts, paying premiums, and scrambling. Um, and so we, we, the, the, the biggest uh, aha moment came for me when I worked at Cisco, and we took a more proactive and data-driven approach to solving the risk problem. And I realized that actually the risk problem is just a data problem. And if we knew where our parts come from, where our suppliers operate and what countries around the world and what were the events happening on a day-to-day -day basis in these countries, we could be so much more proactive about solving problems before they became problems um, and they became big problems. So that was the reason, that was my background and, and I wish I'd had Resolink when I was a practitioner. So uh, I, I, coming back to your previous question, I always go back when I have those really low moments or days and I say, no, but every supply chain practitioner is struggling with this and they need wrestling. Absolutely. And I, I'm going to say that I'm a self-proclaimed supply chain nerd as well. <laughs> so, so how did you make the decision to go out on your own and start wrestling? So we, um, my co-founder, you know, I'm a supply chain expert. I'm not a technologist. My co-founder is a technologist and he's, um, he and I were talking one day about this problem that I, that I had uh, an idea for how we could solve it, but I did not have the techno technology background to put an architecture together and a product. Um, roadmap for it. Uh, but when he heard this problem, he said, oh, it's like LinkedIn and we can, you know, make it's a multi-tenant architecture and we can do it this way and it would be secure. And so suppliers could share this information. And so as the two of us talked, we realized that I had the, I, a very deep understanding of the problem, a very robust solution. And he had the technology background and the product uh, go to market background that could help us take this 
and make it a, a, a product that we could take to market together. So it, it really does just came together within a couple of hours as we started this conversation. And then two hours later, he was like, well, why are you still at Cisco? You should start this. You should do this. And so that was kind of the, uh, you know, that was the day that we decided that this was something I was going to do. I had been experiencing this problem in my life, professional life. I had thought about, well, I wish there was a company out there that solved it in this way. You know, we could have suppliers share this information, etc. And I, my co-founder had a technology background and he helped me architect this, um, the, the product. And so the, the two of us together said, wow, this is a big problem. Every company that has a product today has suppliers that are all over the world. And over time, they've lost visibility to where these companies operate and from where, where they ship their prop, uh, their parts. And so we felt like this was a big enough problem that there was no one out there that had solved it. And we had the best solution. So it was the impetus to get this off the ground. That's awesome. So you also talk about some supply chain mapping that you have um, and some patented analytics. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, I hear that it's to help identify failure points. Yeah, so uh, think about it this way, right? You take a, a product like a cell phone. That product has thousands of components. Um, if you look at the phone, it has the body and the frame. It has the packaging that comes in. There are cardboards and labels all over the place. There's the plastic container that the connector sits in. And then you open up the phone and there are thousands of parts that go in there. And every one of these parts can touch two, three countries before they get assembled into the phone. So think about this. The, this supply chain for this one product could have parts coming from 20 countries around the world. Now you put this complexity together and think about it this way. I can't ship my phone if even the plastic connector packet is missing. So I could have my you know, $800 phone sitting on my shelf, unable to be shipped because a very small packaging material could not be sourced. So this is where mapping comes in. Uh, knowing which suppliers operate where, where these parts come from is what we call supply chain mapping. The other thing is suppliers have suppliers. So the supply chain is actually a layered and tiered network. There are lots of interrelationships and the human brain simply cannot keep track of this immense complexity because you could have hundreds of suppliers managing thousands of parts from 20, 30 countries around the world. So the mapping helps to put this, untangle this mesh of a network. Uh, but it also creates a big data platform where all this information that previously resided in people's heads or in their laptops is now in a single repository. And now you can use this intelligence for so many different things. So our patented analytics helps to say, oh, you might have 10 tier one suppliers. They're all buying from the second tier source. Now that's your single point of failure. And oh, by the way, if this supplier in your first tier or second tier goes down, you know, these are the products that use it that couldn't be shipped. So one site or one part can have a 
five billion dollar impact to revenue. Now, if you have five thousand parts, you sort descending, and you can say, what are the top one hundred parts that could bring me to my knees tomorrow? And then, what are the vulnerabilities? Some of these parts might be built in a risky location. Another, let's say, twenty parts come from a supplier who might not be financially viable. A few other parts, the supplier might come from a supply uh, from a site which has a, a, a you know real vulnerability to earthquakes or hurricanes. So there are different strategies you might want to employ to manage these parts. Effectively, like hurricane season is coming, I know exactly which five parts come from hurricane season, so I can do a forward buy on those, so that I'm not, you know, reactive to the hurricane once it's already been declared. You know, the landfall has already been declared because then I only have a few hours to do something. Yeah, and I can totally see, you know, with all of those moving parts, with all of the data, with the layer upon layer of supply chain. You know, your suppliers have suppliers and and different things like that. I can definitely see, you know, how there can be multiple failure points. So, you know, it's a really good idea, um, especially with the supply chain mapping and and your your analytics to identify those and really be proactive rather than reactive. Exactly, and and the failure points are hidden. You know, typically supply chain practitioners, if you I, and this is a very standard response you get, irrespective of industry. But if you ask a supply chain practitioner who are your critical suppliers, they will always say it's in terms of spend. You know, these are the twenty percent suppliers who represent eighty percent of my spend. But the reality is that a low spend part or material can be as impactful. As a high spend supplier, because you need that part in order to get your product out the door. But these suppliers in the low spend section, you could have so many suppliers who might be single source, IP, not second sourceable, and by the way. You don't give them too much business because they're low spend, so there's not enough justification to go second source them, and that's where risk is residing. Risk resides in that you know eighty percent of your suppliers who are not being actively managed by your people, and so information is the big differentiator. If you don't have, you can't hire people to manage a hundred percent of your supplier base. So information. That is collected through the mapping effort helps bridge that gap. Now you have intelligence that tells you this tail of my supplier base that I'm not talking to every day. Here's where they operate. This is where they. These are their suppliers, and here is the revenue impact. So I could have a two hundred thousand dollars spend supplier who affects eight billion dollars of revenue, and now that's a new definition of what is a critical supplier. But that then helps you target your people um, to those types of pain points or potential failure points. But do it proactively. Absolutely, and well, and that's you know where everybody needs to be these days. Reactionary just doesn't seem to work. So there was a couple of things that you guys offer, and that that I was really really interested in, and that was the R score. Um, can we talk a little bit about it? What what does it do, and how does it help supply chain? 
Sure. Our score is one of our products that we launched last year. You know, over time, as Roslink has done the mapping for so many suppliers, we have collected information about this global factory footprint, sub-tier, business continuity at a site level for tens of thousands of companies. As of February, we had 52,000 suppliers data in our repository, 2 million parts mapped to the sites that make, store, or distribute them. And more than 100,000 sub-tier connections made in the network. Now, this is really valuable insight because no one has in the past ever put this type of a supply chain map together uh, across this many companies. Now, because we have this data, all of it collected in a standard way, what we have now been able to do is create the R-score, which is a measure of a supply chain's resiliency. So with the R-score, we look at five things. How transparent is the company? What is their network resiliency based on the location of their various sites and the inherent vulnerability of those regions, whether it's a natural disaster zone or a geopolitical risk zone or, or a macroeconomic weak zone? You know, So based on the location of their sites, we put together the network resiliency score. Then we look at the continuity performance, uh, continuity and performance metrics, which are based on um, the business continuity capabilities, the time it takes to recover cover business in a major event and performance look at looks at how the customers view the supplier's performance on you know metrics like on time delivery cost quality on a regular basis and then finally it looks at the maturity score which is how mature is this supplier's supply chain risk program? Are they actively monitoring events in their supply chain? Are they mapping their supply chain? Are they proactively protecting their supply chain from events and disruptions? Because ultimately, a, a weak supplier who is who takes their eye off risk is a risk to us as a customer. So the R score really helps when you have, you know, a thousand suppliers. Well, what are the ones that you really need to pay attention on? The R score is a great starting point to say, these are the suppliers who are sort of ahead of the curve. They're very transparent. Their network resiliency is strong. They've invested in risk and resiliency capabilities. And so I can maybe worry about them later. These are the suppliers who are not very transparent, who haven't really done a whole lot in risk management. And so they have a weak, lower R score. And those are the suppliers you might want to go map their supply chain, monitor their sites, and make sure that you're protecting your business with them. We're not saying you should take your business away from them. All we're saying is that our score helps you identify when you have a thousand suppliers, which ones should you put your resources behind managing, uh, you know, closely because you can't just focus on spend. So you need to also have another metric that helps you prioritize. And the R score is a great tool. So is, that, uh, to sorry, that. is that like a supplier scorecard, um, but more digital? 
Exactly. Yeah, it's a supplier scorecard. Uh, the R score comes as a report which shows what is the supplier's R score. What are their? How do they compare against the industry? So you see the range of the industry score. So the industry might have a score ranging from one point five to six, and this supplier score is two. Then you know that they are low compared to others in the industry, and so you know that this is a supplier that you need to really worry about. And then it tells you why their score is low. So the R score has transparency score, network score, performance score, continuity and maturity scores. And you can see on each metric how they compare with others in the industry. So sometimes you might be able to identify that, okay, on the network risk, they seem to be pretty even with the rest of the industry, but they really need to work on their continuity and maturity. And now you can have that dialogue and create an improvement roadmap with the supplier and say, I'm really concerned about these two things. Why don't we put a plan together so over the next four quarters you improve these scores so that we can be confident that you are a long-term Absolutely. partner. And I love the aspect of, you know, working together and because everybody has their weaknesses. Everybody's got strengths. Everybody's got weaknesses. And it's really nice to know and hear that you can identify those easily, quickly, and then work on them together. And, and this is so important. And this is exactly what we believe is that a strong supplier is, is a strong, re- we protect our revenue, but we are also helping the supplier assure their own revenue, right? Because a bad event that hits your supplier can easily put them out of business. So, you know, risk is unlike all the other conversations we, we have with our suppliers where we have a contentious relationship. Risk actually brings us together because we are both working to go together to protect our own future, our, our mutual future, right? So it's a, it's a unifying conversation that we're having with the supplier. It's also a really interesting, and this is where our customers really like the way we do this because it really helps them kind of trade off sometimes price versus um, risk. Uh, sometimes the supplier might have uh, real concerns about doing things a certain way. And when we have this joint collaborative dialogue, customers will say, okay, I understand in order for me to feel more confident about risk, I will agree to give you some flexibility on pricing or other things. So there's a trade-off. It's a collaborative conversation. It's not just to beat up your supplier on cost. The other important thing is that it, you know, what we actually use um, our score for is to make that distinction that you really don't need to use second sourcing as a risk mitigation strategy because second sourcing is really more applicable for a supplier who might not be financially viable or if you're trying to get a better price and using it as a negotiation tool. But for risk, you actually need strong, trusted relationships. So if you have the mapping and this intelligence, you can work with a financially robust supplier and say, I want to stay single sourced with you 
but I need another site qualified. I need you to protect my recovery so that there's redundant manufacturing in two different locations. And guess what? You know, that builds loyalty and that makes for long-term partnerships. In the high-tech industry, the life science, healthcare, these industries, you know, suppliers and customers aren't easily switchable, you know, because there's so much IP involved. A lot of times products get jointly designed, um, in the in the uh, life science industry, there's also a regulatory issue, which is if I want to switch sources, I have to go get FDA approval. So it's not that easy. So really using this mapping intelligence, using the R score becomes a really good way to so, sort of have the long term conversation and say, I'm invested in you and my business depends on you. Here are the things we need to focus on and work towards. So it's a great conversation starter for a deeper and long-term, but mutually beneficial and rewarding Yeah, absolutely. And just so our listeners know, I am going to have a white paper that they have, that Resolink has so kindly provided to us. Um, and that's going to be, you're going to be able to download that at our website at letstalksupplychain.com. Uh, forward slash season two dash episode six. And we're also going to have a transcript of this episode as well. And we're starting to do transcripts. So if you're wanting to um, take down any of the information and you're driving or things like that, don't worry because we have you covered and there'll be more information for you on this topic. So you talked about, you know, the need for the metric. Um, what, how is the metric based The metric is based on the information that Reslink has gathered over the last eight years of mapping the supply chain, working with our, you know, massive customers and tens of thousands of suppliers, but also based on the event data, because Reslink does monitor events around the world 24-7. We keep track of, you know, factory fires happening that get reported in Vietnamese and and, and in Chinese language sources locally, we pick up these news, we do natural language processing. So we have event history going to 2000 and before. And so all of this information is tagged to the latitude longitude where the supplier operates. And all of this intelligence with this, I would say it this way, it's very unstructured data and we have structured it. And now we can offer the R score as a result of all of amazing, the work we have Amazing. Done. Can you break down a little bit of the method methodology um, and the scoring system? Like how how does it work um, specifically when you're when you're taking a look at your supplier network and you want to make some some good business decisions on how to move forward? Sure. Like, for example, uh, let's take uh, the R score is made up of these five elements I talked about. Let's take transparency. The transparency metric looks at how much information is the supplier sharing with their customers. Some suppliers only share their global factory locations. Other, other suppliers go one level deeper and they share their factory locations, who owns those factories, the recovery times, the parts that they uh, build at these factories, their warehouse and DC locations, and all the parts to sites mapped in the ResLink system. The third tier of suppliers now 
now is even more transparent. They actually will disclose to their customers who are their suppliers and where are they located. And then the the final uh, tier of transparency is I will even tell you that for this part that you buy, here are the suppliers, here is the bill of material, and everything is, is disclosed to the customer. So the transparency score looks at how transparent is the supplier along these five elements, and then it gives the supplier that score. Then the network score looks at the, all these sites that the supplier has worldwide, and it looks at the natural disaster, geopolitical, the macroeconomic vulnerabilities of these regions, and it rolls up to the supplier's network score. Uh, and, and the score is to be taken in context of others in the industry. So one supplier may be uh, low transparency, but so might everyone else in the industry, right? So you don't look at the score in isolation it's a relative ranking. So you're looking at every metric in conjunction with where where are most players in the industry at. The other very important thing, and this is actually a really important thing, is we are not actually telling people that you need to be a 10. Because there is such a thing, and I think you know this very well, is there is such a thing as being over-invested in risk mitigation as well. Here, At some point, you hit that point of diminishing returns where every additional dollar you put into de-risking your supply chain yields less and less ROI. So we are seeing that there are companies who have achieved that best-in-class optimal level. Um, and so how far is this supplier from that best-in-class level? So the R-score actually gives you that perspective um, by looking at every metric in all of these different submetrics and seeing, you know, how the supplier compares against others in the industry. And where does the, like, does the supplier decide how much information they're going to um, provide in this system? Or, you know, does the, does the buyer sort of request that type of information? How does that work? Yeah, so uh, it's it's obviously a collaborative process. Uh, Resilink has a standard template with all of the information that I have just described. Customers will decide, I'm okay if the supplier shares this much. And some, sometimes some of our customers have made it mandatory that they want 100% transparency with certain suppliers. Other customers are okay with, you know, getting sub-tier and name, sub-tier sub supplier names and sites. So it, it's really, and then sometimes customers might say, I want everything. And the supplier says, but I will only give you this much. And the customer and the supplier discuss that jointly and say, okay, I understand why you might be concerned and, you know, we'll make an exception. So it's on a case-by-case basis. We have the methodology and the ability to get everything. And then it's between the customer and the suppliers to decide what one wants and what the other feels comfortable sharing. Absolutely. Okay, great. So do you have a real life example of how this has helped some of your clients? Can you give us, you know, a bit of a visual and idea of how one of your clients has, has used this information and really, um, you know, put it to their benefit? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are actually hundreds of examples um, because, you know, events, uh, the supply chain is a very busy, busy world. And every day there are four or five things that are happening, whether it's an M&A or a CEO, CFO change or a factory fire halfway around the world. Uh, there are actually several really good ones from the big events that we are all aware of last year, like Hurricane Harvey and certainly the um, hurricane that happened in Puerto Rico, Maria which had a massive impact because of the concentration of suppliers in the life science industry, for example, which were located in Puerto Rico or the chemical and chemical intermediate suppliers that were located, located in Houston and were affected by Hurricane Harvey. Um, if you remember, the in the days before Harvey, there were a lot of changes happening to the path of the hurricane, and um, there was a lot of uncertainty. Now, what happens is it's very difficult to... Uh, plan what we're going to pull in because you're scrambling that now that the news is dire and the predictions are coming in, you, you literally have hours, maybe 24 hours, 48 hours to decide what suppliers to contact, how much material to pull in from where. If you don't have your mapping date, uh, done, then you're kind of trying to do this in, in vacuum without any visibility. But because our customers have they know exactly which parts come from the factories, which parts are in scenario A, hurricane makes landfall here, scenario B, hurricane makes landfall there. They know exactly which parts they need to act on. So the cost of responding to the disruption is extremely controlled because you're not pulling in a broad swathe of parts and you're not trying to line up and move around product from 10 different factories for every scenario. You know, you can, you can be very surgical and precise in how you do it. Um, and, and we have example upon example uh, of factory fires. Like, for example, a couple of years ago in memory, we had a factory fire at a very predominantly uh, large supplier called SK Hynix. And they have, you know, a lot of different factories, but this one factory in China had a fire and many companies scrambled because all SK Hynix parts suddenly started going uh, 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 out at a premium. But because Resilink customers, they knew exactly which three parts are built at the factory that had the fire, they were able to go place the risk buy on those parts. Uh, and if that part, let's say just hypothetically was $20, they were able to secure that part at $20, $22, and they didn't have to pay $30 for 10 parts. So that's the difference. You know, there's a real cost when events happen. Um, we're paying premiums. Once the event has already happened, we all say, well, we will do it at any price. We will get the material at any price. But there is a cost to getting the material in at any price. There is a cost to expediting freight and airlifting something that would normally travel by road. And that results in cash being used, it results in margins being affected, and it does affect stock price. You know, when the street hears about companies getting disrupted, stock price can drop as much as 8%. And those companies who suffer massive disruptions can underperform competition for multiple years. So event by event, Resilink helps our customers to manage these events quickly with the fewest resources and the least amount of cost and revenue impact. 
Amazing. Those were really, really great examples. I love that. Um, and it helps and it just makes planning so much easier. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody needs to keep their costs down. So whatever you can do to help that bottom line, you know, everybody kind of wins. So I think being able to, you know, take a look at it, predict your risk, mitigate your risk. Um, I think it's just really great for everybody. So I want to get back into sort of the woman in supply chain side and talk and ask you about some advice that you can give to other women in the industry or maybe young professionals looking to get into the industry. But before we do that, why don't we find out what is next for Resolink? Um, so Resolink is going into continuous, you know, expanding and um, going into new verticals. I mean, when we started the company, we were really tailored for the high-tech industry. Today, our customers span high-tech, life science, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, automotive, industrial, and heavy. We're going into aerospace, um, food, and beverages, and as I said, you know, this it, this is a problem that is industry agnostic. Every company buys stuff that comes from all over the world. There are problems happening 24-7. And so this is a problem for any company that has a product and a supply chain. So we continue to expand. Our score is a big data product for us. It really brings all this intelligence into a product that people can adopt easily. It's simple. I have a real, uh, you know, follow on types of actions I can take. It's very constructive, work together collaboratively with the supplier. I mean, what's there not to like? <laughs> um, and it's a metric driven conversation that you can have with your supplier. So we're really focusing on the R score as being a very simple and very easy product that supply chain practitioners can adopt um, and work with their suppliers, uh, you know, for, for becoming more resilient. The other thing is, you know, I, I personally have a vision that the world of supply chain should not be for the elites in uh, elite companies. It's, it's something that every company needs. In fact, for smaller companies, um, risk can be an existential threat. You know, how many small companies can withstand a disruption where a supplier goes out for three, four months? You can't afford that. You know, you, your revenue can't be affected for more than a, a week or two uh, before you would shut down your doors. So we believe that it should be the cost of adopting best-in-class risk capability should not be high. So we've launched a very simple start your supply chain risk journey pack that people can very simply adopt, put it on the credit card, start monitoring your supply chain, start mapping and getting intelligence, use our scores as metrics. But the cost to do it is very low. You know, you don't get in the car without car insurance. And the reason we do that is because car insurance is just a few hundred dollars. So it's a no brainer. But we drive our billions of dollar big supply chain without any protection. And Resolink has that, you know, we have made it so easy and so simple and so cost effective to adopt that it's a no brainer. It's a solution for everyone for any budget. So that's my vision. And the last thing is, you know, this is still a relatively new space. So I really believe that education goes a long way, creating the awareness, building the 
experts um, and seeding that next generation of supply chain risk experts is super important. So this year we launched the ResLink Academic Partnership where we are actually putting our software and our, our services, our uh, 24-7 event monitoring services in the hands of students of supply chain programs so that they can start getting educated about, hey, there's a factory fire that happened at this type of a chemical factory. How will that affect supply chains in the weeks and months to come? Which types of companies will feel the ripple effects? These types of class discussions can really bring out, you know, how vulnerable the global supply chain really is and train the future generation. So rather than these people coming into the job market and then learning on the job painfully, disruption after disruption, they can come in fully aware and the next piece of news that they read, they can triangulate and say, oh, I need to go do these two, three things to, you know, make sure this doesn't become a problem for us in future. So really excited about this partnership. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, we're really do doing something that changes the world and makes supply chains resilient, keeps people employed, uh, you know, and, and uh, prevents companies from shutting down doors and affecting people's lives. Uh, so we feel very good about what we do. <laughs> awesome. I love that. It's so, I love that you are, you know, taking it upon yourself and going to the younger generation and being so inspirational, you know, providing them with the tools so that they can see, they can succeed when they get into supply chain, because it's going to be a very different world. I mean, it already is, you know, things in supply chain are changing year after year. And so it's a different world every time, you know, a young professional or a student, you know, comes into the supply chain world and they're so much better off when they have a toolkit. And they have different um, inspirations and they have different places to pull information from because that only means that they're just going to succeed and the companies are going to be that much better for it. So really, really like that. And I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys are doing next and um, excited to see that, you know, that partnership grow. So before we go, and that was a great segue, by the way, into um, sort of the woman in supply chain part, you know, what advice can you give other women in supply chain? Um, either if they're looking to get into supply chain or even if they're looking to jump from corporate into starting their own companies because they have such a strong vision um, like you did. Yeah, I, you know, I would say go for it. Do it and don't give up, you know, believe in yourself. I feel like... Um, we need more women entrepreneurs and I'll say it in general. It's not just supply chain. Certainly supply chain needs more entrepreneurs. It has generally been an underfunded uh, category on um, in Silicon Valley uh, for many years. Uh, so I really do feel that in general, we need more startups addressing supply chain problems uh, so that we can have more innovation, more leveraging of the latest and greatest technology. And, and like you said, you know, the technology, landscape is evolving exponentially so more and more can be done with fewer people there's a lot of automation that is possible uh, we can we can change how we 
do business. You know, this is not a 20 year transformation. This is a five year transformation, I feel. And the more startups that get started, the more accelerated that journey becomes. So really feel that um, there's more and more appetite. There's openness. It's definitely getting better for people to get funded. We women who are who are doing this, we are fighting the fight. I actually have blogged about my own experiences with fundraising um, and I, you know, there are good in, good investors out there who are very supportive of, of entrepreneurs coming together with new innovative ideas. Never give up. There will be a lot of people uh, who will tell you it's never going to work, never going to make money. You only need the one person to say yes, and you've got a company. So just keep pushing, you know, keep pushing. And, and you've only failed the day you give up. That's my last sentence on that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it's, you know, again, I say, you know, it's inspiring. And, you know, you do only need that one person. Um, and it could be a long, hard road. I mean, you hear about a lot of successful people, men and women, you know, that got told no 40, 50 times um, before somebody saw their vision and you know, wanted to, wanted to work with them to make it happen. So such a, such a true statement. So I just want to say thank you, Bindia. I mean, I love what you're doing in the supply chain risk space. I love what you're doing with young professionals and students. And I am honored to have you as a part of our Women in Supply Chain series. So thank you very much for what you're doing in the community. And thank you for, uh, you know, the opportunity to share our story. It's, it's, it's great to be on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. So if anybody wants to connect with you, um, they can connect with you on LinkedIn. And then ResaLink also is on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. I will have all of this information as well as the free white paper for download, plus the, the transcript at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode six. Now their website is www.res. I-L-I-N-C dot com. If you want to go and visit them and get more information, take a look at the R scorecard, take a look at what they're doing in the mapping and the analytics space as well, and just say hi. So thank you again, Bindia. It was such a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you again. If you loved this episode, make sure to check out Women in Supply Chain Series Part 1, which is Episode 65 of Season 1, Part 2, which is Episode 67 of Season 1, Part 3, Episode 3, or if you're looking to find out more about supply chain risk management mistakes, go and check out episode 50 in season one as well. Our next episode is about blockchain and how it is the transparent solution to the regulatory oversight in supply chain, specifically the cannabis supply chain. There's a lot of discussion going on around cannabis right now and around blockchain. So you're going to want to um, tune into this episode for sure. I am talking to Mike Cohen of Greenstream. Remember to go to ships.com, that's S-H-I-P-Z, and sign up to be the first to get information about our new platform. Thank you to everyone who rates and reviews our show. Remember, I will feature you on an upcoming show. Just make sure you go and write us a review. We want to make sure that everybody can find us learn from us, learn from the guests and the thought leaders in the industry and learn more about what's going on in the industry where I am interviewing a lot more of the innovators, 
and disruptors in the industry and you want to find out what they are doing. So have an amazing day. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. And remember everybody, ship happens. <laughs>